I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Today, we are going to read a little bit about who you are as light. And Ephesians does something wonderfully. What it does is in the first little bit, tells you who you are, tells you who Jesus is, tells you that you're seated with Him. And then, once you figure out who you are, it tells you what to do about that. And as believers, you've got to realize, I am something. Jesus made me something. So how am I going to act now that I am this? That I'm not in the world anymore. That I'm not in darkness anymore. We studied in Colossians uh, just on Wednesday night. And, and, and one of the things that we, we heard was that he rescued us out of darkness and transferred us into light. What does that mean? You know, this is not just a theory that we believe. This is not just a, just a, a knowledge that, yeah, if you were to look at my passport, this is who I am. Who you are changes how you act. It changes how you live. Jesus made you something. He cleaned you up. He made you righteous. He made you light. He made you full of Him. Now, what does that look like on this planet? If you need a good example, just look back at Jesus. This is the simplest way to solve all Christian arguments. If you're, listen, if you're, if you're talking to logical, reasonable people, is you go and you look back at Jesus and say, what did Jesus do? Because Jesus was our perfect example of how to live. Jesus was the perfect example of a man living under the power of the Spirit of God, listening to the voice of God, only doing what God said, listening to the will of God above His own will. This was the example for all of us. Ephesians paints a picture. It paints two pictures. Who you were and who you are. And I love it. It says you're not this person anymore. Ephesians 4 talks about the church and all the great things that God's done in the church. And it says... Therefore, we're not to be kids anymore. We're not to be children anymore, tossed around by every wind and wave of doctrine. Part of growing up is that you don't believe and, and, and just go along with every new fad that comes along. The, new, the next new book, the next new DVD series, the next new TV show. Part of growing up in Christ means you're grounded in the Word, you're grounded in something, you're not just tossed all over the place, you know, flakier than dandruff, just going all over and... Um, Really living life without any firm anchor. Part of growing up means that you figure out who you are in Christ and you begin to walk in it. It says we don't walk like we used to walk. And he paints a great picture because the church in Ephesus, as I've told you before, has come out of a nasty, they've come out of a nasty culture. Their city was not a, a nice city. It was nice to some people in the world, but it was full of evil. It was full of sin. It was full of wickedness. It was a perverted place. Even the religion in that city was perverted. And here's where they come from. This is their hometown. And in Ephesians 4 and 5, Ephesians 4 especially, he says this is who you used to be and you used to act like this and you used to talk like this. But now, this is who you are. Before you can act like you should act, you must first know who you are. You've got to know this is who I am. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. When I wake up in the morning, I don't have to convince myself that I'm a man. It's not a, it's not a battle for me. I don't have to get up and say, Jonathan, you like girls. You like girls. You like your wife, especially. That's the girl you like. Yeah. You, you are attracted to your wife because you're a man. That's just Jonathan, okay. I mean, I don't have to program myself. That's just natural to me. It's who I am. I know who I am. 
And how I act comes off a little bit because that's, I mean, how I act plays off of who I am. It comes out of that. It's a fruit of who I am. You can't be one thing and act like another thing. It doesn't, it doesn't jive. And so I know who I am and, and I act like it. And sometimes you need to be reminded. My, my parents, I mean, see, I, I was one of those little boys that, that just liked to climb on everything, just crawl all over, all over the furniture and all, anything that could be climbed, I wanted to climb it. I was my own little Sir Edmund Hillary, and I just think, you know, why did you climb that couch? Because it was there. Just, that's what you do, right? You climb stuff. So my parents sat me down more than once, and I still remember it. It must have been like, what? How old do you think I was when you did this? Three, about three or four. Jonathan, say this after me. I'm a boy, not a monkey. I'm a boy, not a monkey. Say it again. I'm a boy, not a monkey. I'm a boy, not a monkey. Well, I don't know if I really thought I was a monkey, but I needed to be reminded that I was a little boy, and a little boy is not supposed to climb over everything. That's debatable because uh, we've met little boys, right? They do like to climb. And if little boys didn't like to climb, then they wouldn't have become little men that someday grew up to take that, that great hill, Iwo Jima, in, in the World War II. I mean, there's something in us that says you should be able to climb. But I was also taught that a boy does not climb all over the furniture and destroy everything either. So I, mean, I had to balance that. I had to be reminded of who I was so that it would change how I acted. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see something because Ephesians 4 has told us you used to act this way and it tells you something really cool. It says lay aside the old self and put on the new. Lay aside the old self. Now you say, well, I thought, the lay, I, thought I laid aside the old self when I got born again. You, you put it to death. When you got born again, that person you used to be died. But you can pick up that guy and walk him around and act like you used to act, but God didn't create you for that. So he says, lay aside who you used to be. Be, be, be willing to let God reinvent you completely. It says in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Did you see he defines you? He doesn't say, say imitate God, and if you imitate God enough, maybe you'll pass as, as one of his children. He says, imitate God as beloved children. He says two things about you right now, that you are his child and that he loves you. And when you know that, you can walk on that. He says, okay, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Oh, man, I wish he had just stopped and said walk in love. Wouldn't that be easier? Just stop right there and say walk in love because, Jared, if he just said walk in love, then I can, I can, I can do whatever I think is love. I mean, I can just, if he just said walk in love, I can say, well, I'm walking in love, but Jared deserved to be smacked in the face. And I'm still walking in love. It was a loving punch in the face. But he doesn't. He defines what love looks like. He says, walk in love as Christ loved you. Oh, no. Because my idea of love means I love those that love me. But Christ's idea of love is I love you before you do anything right. I love you as you're crucifying me. 
I love you for, for as dirty and filthy as you are. I love you. And that love took Jesus to the cross to shed his blood for you, to pay the price for you. And that love put him, I mean, all of that stuff that he went through, he did it with joy because of his love for you. That's the kind of love that he tells us to walk in. Do you notice he doesn't say have love? Doesn't say feel love. Because we love that love is a feeling. And we like our Valentine's cards that are fuzzy and they're cute. And we love to feel that flutter of butterflies when you first fall in love with your wife or, in some cases, your husband. By some cases, I mean the women in the crowd. Just if you need clarification. (laughs) Some people are like, is he making a political statement? No, I'm not. He doesn't say have love. He doesn't say feel love. Because if all that God had for you was the the feeling kind of love and he put your picture on the fridge and he sang songs about you he got out his acoustic guitar and said isn't he lovely you know and, and did all of this stuff and felt warm fuzzies for you that wouldn't have been enough God didn't just feel warm fuzzies for you God didn't just not hate you love took Jesus to the cross. Love was not just a feeling. And love amongst the brethren and sisters in Christ has got to go beyond a feeling. He says walk in love. He doesn't say feel love. He doesn't say think love. He doesn't say have love. He says walk in it. Walking in it means that you don't just have it in here. It comes out in here, out here. It it comes out into life. Walk in love. That means your actions must be based and powered by that love. And in case you want to know what kind of love it is, he says, as, just as, in the same way Christ loved you, and, oh no, he had to keep going, and gave himself up for us. And we, we've talked about this before. And in the next chapter, later in this chapter actually, he talks about marriage. He says something powerful. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Don't love your wife as Romeo loved Juliet. Don't love your wife as Tristan and Isolde. Don't love your wife as David and Bathsheba or Adam and Eve. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And, and he keeps going, oh, why did you keep going, God? And gave himself up for us. Gave himself up for her. And you know, we talk about this, you know, laying your life down. And it's easy in theory to say, baby, I'd die for you. I'd take a bullet for you if it ever came down to that. I mean, if a guy came into the house and he said, which one of you is going to die? I'd jump in front of you and I'd say, shoot me first. Leave her alone. Let her go. I'll take her place. That sounds romantic because you know that's never going to happen. The odds of that happening are so slim because you don't live, you don't live in Hollywood where, where, where these movies happen all the time. You're living in real life. Chances are that's not going to happen. Maybe it would. But you know what? If you're not willing to lay your life down every day for that person, 
What makes you think you're going to lay your life down when that moment came and not run off like a little chicken? Lay your life, laying your life down for that woman isn't some theoretical, someday I'd give myself for you. Laying your life down means right now putting that person above you, putting their needs above you, putting their even wants above yours. Laying your life down is an everyday thing. So he doesn't just say walk in love, he defines it. Verse 26, whoa, no, not 26, man, they skipped it. They are paying attention up at the sound booth. I'm sorry. Let's look at this. Verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Now that immorality is talking about sexual immorality. It says immorality, impurity, or greed must not even be named. Another translation says don't let there even be a hint of this stuff. He doesn't say don't get caught. He says, don't even let there be a hint. Don't even let there be a rumor of this in your midst. He says, as is proper among saints. Do you hear that? He says, as is proper among what? Saints. We're saints. Do you know what a saint is? Someone who is completely clean and holy. He calls you a saint. You don't, not some some dude who lived 500 years ago who may or may not have told snakes to leave Ireland. He's calling you a saint. He's calling you holy based on what Jesus did. He says, here's how a saint acts. A saint does not act like that. It does not, it's not proper among you. In, in other words, it doesn't fit your new self. It's not who you are. In verse 4, he says, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk. <laughs> Or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Do you hear that? Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now I want you to hear this because this is where we're probably going to spend most of our time today. Because uh, we could talk about different areas of how we, uh, how we imitate God. And we imitate Him in our life. We imitate in our love. But I want to talk about how we, how we use our mouth. Because we're going to spend a little bit of time on this. And I realize I'm not, I'm not a big on a topical guy. I don't, I don't just pick a topic and go with it. But something in the church that needs to be addressed is how you talk. Now, we've talked a couple months ago, or a few months ago, we talked about your tongue being the rudder, as James says, the rudder for your life. And we talked about speaking what God says instead of what the world says. But right now, I'm talking about the little language that colors your speech. Now, I realize we're all at different stages of our walk with God, and some of you just got on the road. Some of you just got born again. And do you know what? I don't expect you to be, um, you know, 100% a totally different person. You are a different person on the inside, but, you know, God's working on the other stuff. You know, He's working on your attitudes. He's working on your language. He's working on your house and all of these things. But there's a point as believers, here's what I've noticed. I've seen a lot of wonderful new believers get born again, turned on to Jesus. You know what? I've had some of them swear at me while they were getting saved. You know what? God understands. That's where they're at. I mean, they're just like, this is bleeping awesome, you know? And that's how they felt. That's how they expressed it. I get it. I think God gets it. Do you know those people that get radically saved? It's amazing how fast their life changes. Amazing. 
Do you know the ones we have the most trouble with are not those people. The ones you have the most trouble with are the punk kids that grew up in church who are looking for a way to express themselves differently. Those ones are the troublemakers a lot of times because they know better, but they want to prove that they're authentic by being inauthentic. I want to tell you, here's, what, here's the deal. He spends all this time telling you who you are to tell you if you want to be authentic, you are a saint. If you want to be authentic, he goes on to tell you, you're light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. Being authentic as a believer does not mean acting like the world. In fact, he says that's not fitting. Translation, that's fake. That's not who you are. That's inauthentic. Some people say, I, I mean, I've heard preachers say, I need to swear from the pulpit so I can be authentic so they can know I'm real. Know you're really what? What are you? You're authentically what? Because I'm going to tell you that the scripture says you are authentically a saint. You are authentically light. You are authentically a child of God. And you want to be real? You want to be authentic? Let your life match that. Instead of match this idea of what the world is. I love these people in the world. As dirty as they are. I realize that I've got my own things that God's working with. I realize that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I realize that there's nobody that starts out this perfect. And I have fun talking with new believers. Because you know what? As much as there may be some things in their life that don't quite line up, they're going in the right direction. They're excited for God. They want God to change them. They're working on it. He changes these big things and, and focuses on the outside things later. The outside's not the first thing he changes. But as, as they begin to grow in the Lord, you see a, a different attitude. You see them walk different. You see their face looks different. You see, you see everything just changes. And it's wonderful to watch. It's wonderful to watch. And I, so I don't think there should be any of us here that would kind of, you know, not extend the hand of fellowship or toss somebody out because they're not completely what our idea of a Christian looks like. I mean, they're not there yet. You, you open your arms, you let them in, you realize that God accepts them, and if God accepts them, you got to accept them. And this is what God, Jesus said to Peter. He said, if I've cleansed them, you don't treat them like they're unclean. So we open up our arms wide to the dirtiest of the dirty, to the messed up of the messed up, because we know that our God's got the answer. Those aren't the people I'm talking about today. I'm talking about believers who get up to a certain level with God. And then you want to act like everybody else. But that's not who you are. I'm not talking about you not being saved anymore. I'm talking about the very fact that you are saved. It changes something. Now let's look at what he says should not be named. He says no immorality, no impurity, no greed. Now look at what he says should not come out of your mouth. No filthiness. Silly talk. Horse jesting. Now, what is silly talk? Now, silly talk, if you read this wrong, you're going to think that means making, a, making a, a, a harmless joke. That's not what this is talking about. Because if you look at it, this could otherwise be translated as foolish talk. Look it up in the original Greek language, and it says it's talk that betrays you as a fool, that betrays that you don't know what you're talking about. 
And so this one had me confused for a while because I'm like, God, what do you mean by silly talk? What do you mean by foolish talk? Am I, does that mean I can't make jokes? Does that mean I can't use a funny voice when I'm playing with my baby? Is this, is this what it is? No, this is not what it is. Silly talk, foolish talk is defined in other scriptures. You know in the, in the book of Proverbs, he says, a fool says in his heart there's no God. That can be foolishness. But, but as well, there are places, for instance, in Paul's letter to Timothy that say, avoid foolish controversies and debates over little genealogies and things like that. As you begin to study the Bible, you begin to find out that what he's talking about, silly talk, is spending all your time talking about things that don't matter. You went on YouTube. YouTube is a breeding ground for the nut jobs. It's just like, because you know what? When I was a kid, you had to at least convince somebody with money that you had something to say before you got on TV. Now, you could turn on public access television in the States and get some crazies. But for the most part, you had filtered television. Somebody... You, not just anybody could get on that tube. But then YouTube came along, and I love YouTube. I really do. Um, it's got some great things on it. But you know what? It's got some crazy, nutty things, too. And every now and then, somebody who's walking in the Word and somebody who's plugged into God, and they're growing, the enemy comes and throws them a curveball. And they're growing in the Lord, and they're learning about all this new stuff, and then all of a sudden they go, what about the Nephilim in the Old Testament? Were those aliens? Were those fallen angels? What does it matter to you? You can have a theory, but all of a sudden, it's no longer a theory. It takes over their whole life, and it's all they talk about. Or somebody that's spending all their time talking about what happens after the rapture. I get it. But if I read my Bible correctly, you're not even going to be there. You do a little bit of thinking about it. Know about the end times. The Bible talks about it. You study the Bible. But study it in the proportion that it's written. Don't make it your life call. So, you go on YouTube and you find this other guy who has got a theory. I, when I was a teenager, we got turned on to Jesus, and Jesus was just a part of everything we did. And in particular, we loved to snowboard. Me and my friends, we, we would hit the mountains as much as we could. I don't get to go out very much but, anymore, but I used to. And that's one thing we loved. And so, so Jesus fit into snowboarding. I mean, we, we, we did it. I mean, maybe we might have taken it too far, but, but we, we wrote a song about how wonderful Jesus and snowboarding were together. This was a little crazy. We were a little bit off base, but we loved the Lord. And we used, we used um, whatever we had, whatever time we had. I mean, we'd be on the, the chairlift, and it was a four-person chairlift, and there's three of us, room for one more. And as that one person got on, they were going to hear about Jesus, and the only way off was to jump. And so you just, <laughs> you'd have a, a nice period where they had to listen to what you had to say. We thought about, now, now know, know that I didn't do this. We thought about, maybe, you know, this was just a joke. Dangling somebody over the side and saying, if we dropped you, would you know where you went if you died? You know, but we decided not to do that. Instead, we just went to the top and trusted God to do his work. 
But um, we started a message board based on our love of snowboarding and God. And it was something else, and I don't even remember what it was. But we started a message board. Message boards were like the pre-Facebook, the pre-Twitter. Like it was, it was the proto version of these social networks. And so we started this message board. And there was a guy that kept plaguing us on this message board. You get some nut jobs on those too. And this guy was really trying to convince us that through mathematical calculations, it turns out that that number 666 that the Bible talks about, the mark of the beast, he figured it out. He cracked a code. It was actually going to appear as 777. And we were all going to be tricked by it. As if Christians were going to line up and go, 777 on my wrist? Oh, I guess that's okay. You know, <laughs> I always heard 666 was bad, but 777, that sounds fine here. He's like, you're all going to be deceived, man. This is how the devil's going to destroy us, really. By using bad math. He brings the church down that can't be shaken. The unshakable kingdom, the church built on the rock, crumbles because we, we didn't carry the two. Oh no! Why did we mess up? Why didn't we pay attention in second grade? Spend all this time on foolish side issues instead of the Word of God, walking in the Word of God, walking it out. Instead of applying, you know what? If you hear too much and aren't doing enough, you know, I'm not saying you need to do something to please God. I'm not saying you need to do something to get to a, a level in heaven. No, no, no. I'm saying if you're hearing the Word and not applying it, you will get crazy. You will turn to nutty, flaky stuff because it will all be in your head. It'll just, it'll just be, yeah, just knowledge, Bridget, just like that, just, just up there. And it won't be in your heart, it won't be in your life, it won't be life-changing. It'll just be a new theory that you heard. And God doesn't need you to have one more theory. He wants life change. He wants, he wants world changers. He's, he's, he's made you to be followers of Him and imitators of Him. And you've got the same spirit as Jesus. What kind of power is that? Do you think Jesus spent all this time arguing with some old guy in the synagogue about really, but really, what does that mean? He did talk in the synagogue, but you see what he did? He applied his life to the will of God. So, okay, we've, we've handled silly talk. Don't get past your depth. If you don't know about it, don't talk about it. Don't waste all your time on silly little things. And then he says, no filthiness and that was actually came before silly talk no filthiness we understand what this is we understand what filthiness is because what the bible defines as filthy is very different from what the bible defines as clean there's a clear line and we stay away from filthiness and he says coarse jesting coarse means rough means not it, it's it's coarse you know what this is coarse language coarse jesting Filthy talk. You know, the scripture talks about, says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But here's the word that's meant to come out of your mouth. A word, such a word as is good for edification. You know what edification means? To build up. It says, don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth, but let the words that build up, that ministers grace to the one who has need. Thank God.
you've got to realize how powerful this mouth is that God gave you. You've got a fountain inside of you, don't you? Do you know how that fountain comes out? Do you know how it ministers to the world? Through your words, through your mouth. Romans 3 paints a beautiful example. I don't want you to turn there, but I'll tell you real quick. Romans 3 talks about a group of people who were unsaved, separated from God. It says their mouth was filled with bitterness and cursing. Bitterness and cursing. But it says in a few verses later, God shut their mouths. He shut their mouths so that they'd be open to hear about the righteousness of God. And it goes on to say, and by the time you get to chapter 14, chapter 15, it talks about us with one mouth. It, we, it's translated in my Bible as one voice, but it literally says, with one mouth will praise God. So you see the journey of your mouth? You went from full of bitterness and coarse jesting and, and, and curses. Your mouth was full of junk. And then God shut your mouth for a little bit, and then he released it to praise God, to declare His name, to set the captives free. What a powerful thing He's done in your life. There's a lot of words in our language that we consider taboo. For good reason. Some of them, some of those four-letter words are just four-letter words because our proper ancestors said, you don't talk about what's in the bedroom, you don't talk about what's in the bathroom. And so <laughs> you think about a couple of those words, they're just slang for something that talks that you shouldn't talk to, to everybody about. They're not any worse than the other words we use for them. They've just become slang, so um, they've become dirty. But they've also taken on a different meaning. You may say, all this means is, is this word. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an innocent word if you really think about it. I want you to try that. You try that. Go up to, go up to somebody of another race and use a, a word. I don't want you to try this. Please don't try this. But if you were to go up to somebody of another race and use a word that technically isn't a bad word, but it's come to be a derogatory word, see how they react to you. Because you know words change. They take on new meaning. And there's some words that if you look at their real root, they're not that bad a word but they've come to take on a certain meaning. And they've come, a word is just a shell for something that's in it. And that word has become, to, it's carried a different spirit behind it. It's carried a different uh, meaning behind it. And you know what? There may be words that we consider bad words now that someday aren't, aren't as bad anymore. They may change in the language. There's some words that will never change. We know that we never take the word, the name of Jesus in vain. One of the worst things you could ever say was that D word. I'll tell you why. Not because, not because it's, it's a bad word that God's going to slap your hand for, but because life and death is in the power of your tongue. You have the power in your mouth to bless or to curse. And when you say that something is damned, you are cursing it. You are cursing it. And we do not curse. James said, how can we bless the Lord with our mouth? How can we bless Him and curse our brothers at the same time. He says, brothers, this should not be so. He said, how can fresh water and salt water come out of the same stream? You want God to ramp up the power in your mouth. You say, God, why don't I carry more authority? You don't want more authority. Because what if God had created the universe 
and then used that D word, stubbed his toe, used that D word. Do you know what would have happened? The universe would have stopped. <laughs> it was a because if he had cursed what he had blessed, we wouldn't be around. You say, God, I, w- I want my prayers to have more power. Then watch your mouth. <laughs> you, don't want your, you don't want your every word to have more power. Watch what you're saying. Thank God. I am not your second grade teacher that's going to catch you every time you're doing something bad, catch you every time you use a bad word. I'm telling you, you need to be your own monitor. You need to let the Spirit monitor your life, and you need to realize who you are. Because in an age where Christians are trying to prove they're authentic, they're doing the opposite. Because this this Bible says it's not fitting among saints. It doesn't say it's not fitting in the world. It fits the world perfectly. It doesn't fit you. That's not who you are anymore. The world is not looking. I mean, do you really think that people in the world are just looking for an excuse to come and wake up early on Sunday? You think they're looking for another party except this time without drugs or alcohol? You think that's what they're after? You see, here's what I think they're after. I think they know that something's missing. I, know, I think they know that something's broken. I think they're longing for that relationship with God that they need so badly that the, every, every part of their body says, I need him. I don't know what I need. And they try to fill it with alcohol and they try to fill it with drugs and they try to fill it with sex and they try to fill it with all these things and they know something's missing. And I'll tell you what they need. They need him. They may not know it yet, but that's what they need. And that's what they're looking for. Somebody who will reflect him They don't need someone who says, I mean, do you guys remember what it used to be like in school when they would bring the mascots in or they'd pop that VHS in the rolling, I'm I'm betraying my era. Maybe some of you are like, VHS, that wasn't around when I was in school. And some of you are like, what's a VHS? But they used to roll that TV into our room and slap the VHS in. And there'd be somebody telling you not to do drugs. And it did the opposite of what they were trying to do because that guy was so lame trying to be cool. Yo, what's up, daddy? Yo, hey, man. Yo, you shouldn't do that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff is whack, man. And we're like, oh, this is lame. They see through it a, a mile away. Just be who you are. Just be who you are. If you're cool, be cool. But don't let that be your defining factor in life. Let your def- definition be, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You know what? God's grace, God's character, His love is big enough to fit a lot of different personalities. If you're artistic, be artistic. If you're creative, be creative. If you're a builder, be a builder. But do it in the power of God. Do it in the power of God. Do it for him, through him, and by him. Don't waste all your time trying to be like everybody else, trying to be authentic. I'll tell you what authentic is. You are saint. You are a child of God. You're a child of light. That's authentic. If you're not matching that, it's inauthentic, and the world will see it for fake. I can't tell you how important this is. You know, you're not going to hell if you say a bad word. You're not going to get called into the principal of the office. But I want to tell you, your mouth is a powerful thing. 
It's a wonderful thing. Don't waste your words. Don't misrepresent Jesus. This isn't legalism, guys. Legalism is quite different. You're not justified by this. But Jesus said, a man's not defiled by what he eats. What goes in his mouth He's defiled by what comes out of his mouth. I want your words to begin to reflect who you are. When I used to work in the Christian bookstore, a lady came up to me. She said, how are you? I said, I'm doing good. She said, you go to church in town here? I said, I do. She said, how's your church doing? I said, oh, we're blessed. God is so good. She said, you're from the Word Church. That's all I said. I said, how'd you know? Have you been there? Did you see me up there playing? And she said, nope, you talk like them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did I, what did I, just everything you said. I couldn't tell if she was happy about it or not. She was just like, you talk like them. And all I said was, we are blessed. God is so good. You're from the word church. In only a few words, someone has defined who you are and where you came from. Didn't take much. In only a few words, you can either glorify Jesus, put a little mud on his name. And I'm not asking you to be somebody you're not. I'm asking you to be who you are. He goes on to say in this chapter, you are light. He doesn't say you have light. He doesn't say you know light. He says you are light. And then he says this, that's who you are. Now walk as children of light. You got to say, this is who I am. Now I'm going to be that guy. This is who I am. I'm going to walk like that. I'm going to talk like that. This is who I am. You want me to be real with you? I am really born again. You want me to be real with you? I am really on fire for Jesus. Be authentic. You know what? If Jesus were here, would he hang out with, would he go and visit the lost and the lonely? Would he go and visit the messed up people? Would he go and even eat with them, even if they use bad language? Yes, he would. But I'm going to tell you what happened when people had lunch with Jesus. Zacchaeus had lunch with Jesus. And Zacchaeus was as dirty little punk as they came. This little guy was ripping off his own people, being a little toad for the Romans. He was so short that he had to climb up in a tree to, to see Jesus. Just, and he didn't even know who Jesus was, but just see what everybody's looking at. Just a little, you know, he's just, a, they didn't accept him. They didn't like him. Because not only was he a little weird, he was a traitor. And he wasn't just a traitor because he picked the wrong side. He was ripping off his own people. The Romans would say, collect this much tax. And he would, but then he'd collect a little bit extra for himself. And then it would stop being a little bit extra. It started being a lot extra. And Jesus is walking, and this little guy is up in the tree like a little monkey. He's a boy, not a monkey. And, and God, and Jesus says to him, get down from here, you weirdo. Come down, because I'm coming to your house. And, you know, here in North America, we'd be like, you're coming to my house? I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But in that culture, that was a great honor. This man would come to your house and break bread with you. Oh, what an honor. He was honoring you with his presence. Now we're like, it's a hassle. 
I've got to fix something. I've got to clean up. But back then, in that culture, you were honored if such a man would come to your house. And the Pharisees were like, why are you honoring that guy? Jesus has a meal with this guy. And Jesus doesn't sink to his level. But Jesus loves him. He accepts him. Zacchaeus knows he's loved. And his reaction is not to think, well, I guess what I'm doing is okay with Jesus. His reaction is this. He stands up and says, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to cheat anybody anymore. And you know what I'm going to do? I am going to pay back four times what I stole. When people have lunch with Jesus, they're changed. He's not changed. They're changed. So you analyze your little meals. You find out who's changed in that meal. You or them. Find out which one of you is more like Jesus. I'm not telling you you don't don't hang around. Don't, don't, you know, if somebody in the grocery store swears, you go, la, 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 la. I'm not telling you that. You are in the world, not of it. Jesus prayed. He said, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He is not asking that you go and move away and shut out the world. He is asking that you stay in this, as it says in Philippians, in this perverted and crooked generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As light bearers, as light givers. The world does not need someone who is another version of gray or another version of darkness. They need light. Be light. You are light. Walk as light. And let your mouth reflect the light that's in you. That's authentic. That's real. That's for real, man. That's, the, that's, that's, that's what life is about. Look at the kind of people that accepted Jesus. Look at the people that loved him. They were the same people that you're trying to reach. The only people that didn't like him were the stuck-up religious people. And Jesus did not have to become something he wasn't. He was tempted in all things, yet without sin. In his mouth was the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And I want to tell you before we close, that in the book of Acts, and I've said this before, we find out that when people spoke by the word of God, by the power of God, and by the spirit of God, hearts were pierced, First time it happened, Peter preached this message. He didn't pull any punches. He just said what God told him to say. And these people, 3,000 came to the Lord. He preached another message, and people fell on their knees. It says they were pierced to the heart. That means that that word of God went past their prejudices. It went past their, their, their faults. It went past their distractions. It went past their culture, and it hit them in the heart. And it says they fell to the knees and said, what must we do to be saved? And then what happens Stephen preaches a, a message under the power of the Spirit. And even those stuck-up religious guys, it says it cut them to the quick. But instead of falling to their knees, they got angry and said, we're going to kill you. Because it, for the first time, the word actually hit their heart. See, they had heard the word all their life, but it was just an empty religious ritual. And now the word is going past their brain past their religious understanding and it hit them straight in the heart where their 
still sensitive. And it made them angry. That's what your tongue has the power to do. That's what you can do. Why would you fill that spring of living water with dung and manure and dirt? Why would you fill that spring with rocks? Why would you stop it up when out of your innermost will flow rivers of living water that bless the nations, that heal the brokenhearted, that sets at liberty the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, that proclaims the favorable year of the Lord, the gospel to the poor. That's what you have the power to do. Why would you let that be tainted? The Lord said, don't even let a hint of that old stuff be among you. Don't even let there be a hint of that. He says that's not proper among saints. You know what he's saying? It's not authentic for you. Then he says, don't let that filthy language get in your mouth. Why? It's not fitting for you. It may fit the world, but it doesn't fit you. You're a saint. You're, you're a child of God. You're light. Be light. Say, well, people won't, expect me, won't respect me if I don't speak their language. I'm sorry. Do they not understand English? I think they do. Can I tell you what the world's looking for? Something different. A radical, peculiar people. They're not looking for people that are stuck up. Don't you hear this and say, well, he wants holier-than-thou stuck-up people. I do not want that. I want you to do this in humility. But let God train your tongue. David McGrew said one time in a message, I think, he, I think he shared it in front of us. He asked the Lord, he said, God, why do so many people that are called to prophesy and they know that they're anointed to prophesy, why so many times do they have all this other stuff that doesn't come to pass or, you know, it's just, it's just in there, filler. He said, the Lord said to him very clearly, the prophetic tongue must be restrained before it's released. Must be restrained before it's released. You want the power of God in your mouth? Restrain your tongue and then release it. Let God have the reins. You're a light. I want to tell you who you are. You're a light. You're a child of God. You're a saint. That does not make you better than the rest of the world. <laughs> that does not make you better than everybody else on the planet. That makes Jesus better than everybody else. And it's Christ in you that's the hope of glory. Here's the hope that we have. Our goal is not to go out into the world and say, see how much better we are than you. Our goal is to say, see how good Jesus is. See how good God is. And He can be that for you too. And He loves you. And He wants you in the family. Thank God. Thank God. Praise God. I want you to, to watch your mouth. Watch your heart. Guard your heart. 
Because out of it flows the springs of life. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what are you letting into your heart? Because I'm going to tell you. You fill your life with the music and the, the movies and all that stuff that will fill your life with that, that other way of living, another way of speaking, another way of walking. That will get into your heart and it will come out your mouth. None of you are above that. Hey, if you're in the oil patch, Josh, do people respect you even if you don't swear at them? They do, don't they? Do you smack them in the face every time they swear? No. <laughs> you know what? You don't have to smack somebody. You don't have to cover their mouth when they say a filthy word. I found most of the time they find out you're a believer, they'll catch themselves. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's not fragile. Jesus, Jesus would have been okay in that situation. But you know what? You make sure what's coming out of your mouth is light. Paul said, we're not here to judge the world. The world is the world. We expect this from the world. But we must judge ourselves. Praise God.